Just a quick trigger warning before we jump into this episode of Shameless. This episode does discuss issues around domestic violence and may be triggering for some listeners. Elizabeth Taylor was one of Hollywood's greatest icons, but despite being known as the most beautiful woman in the world, she had a complicated love life filled with affairs, a shock death, and yes, many, many divorces. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Zara McDonald. Michelle Andrews, welcome to our two-part series on Elizabeth Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor. I have been itching to talk about this. The reason we decided to sit down and do Elizabeth Taylor, Zara, is because over our break, I sat down with my grandmother and I said, Nanny, what scandal stories do you want to hear? Because she's learned a lot about the 2010s. She's learned a lot about the like 2000s, a little bit of the 90s. But she said, Michelle, you cannot do this scandal series without covering the biggest scandal to ever hit Hollywood in the 1950s. Yeah, I had no idea about this. I'm not going to lie until you said that your grandmother, your lovely grandmother, had suggested that we do it. I mean, the story of Elizabeth Taylor ate up tabloid space for most of the 20th century. Mm. She had eight marriages. She was engaged 10 times, divorced seven and widowed once. A wild, wild life that I cannot wait for us to get into. I think another reason you and I are so invested in this story is actually because one of our favourite books of all time. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is what my mind went to the minute you started talking to me about Elizabeth Taylor is we've spoken about Taylor Jenkins Reid's Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo before, maybe not on Scandal, but definitely in our book club. And it is one of our favourite books of all time. It is a fictional portrayal of a movie star who has seven different husbands. And as I was digging into the backstory of that book, it did come to the fore that, yes, of course, Taylor Jenkins Reid took small amounts of inspo from the life of Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, it goes without saying this is a moment in celebrity history that we absolutely have to cover. That's just how iconic and massive this was. Before we get into it, Zara, we do want to address one small thing, though. This is a trend. Looking back at celebrity history has become a bit of a pop culture moment in and of itself. That means, unfortunately, sometimes we are not the only ones doing these kinds of stories. Yeah, just a day or two before we actually came onto these mics, we realised that an American podcast in July actually dropped a series covering Elizabeth Taylor's life. And it was released after we'd fully researched and written these episodes, Mish, but before we'd actually released them. Mm. And we had a bit of a discussion amongst ourselves, but the reality of working on Scandal that most people don't realise is that we're working more than eight weeks in advance because these episodes take so much time. Yeah, exactly right. So we're recording the Elizabeth Taylor episodes right now, but just so the listeners get an understanding, we have already fully researched and prepped two series in advance. So we are constantly working two months approximately in advance to the episodes actually coming out. So we had a back and forth. We thought, do we release this? Do we not? We landed on, we're going to release it. We think this is, if not one of the strongest scandal series we've done, the strongest. This is my favourite story we have researched and covered. And I think in a time when people are going back and talking about Britney Spears, talking about Diana, it's no surprise that the next big story might be Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, so we just wanted to put that on the record. And I think we always have a commitment here at Shameless to try and be producing the most original content that we possibly can. Occasionally, that's just not always going to be possible because the podcast landscape is quite saturated, but we want 
want to commit that. Going forward, we are going to try and pick stories, hopefully, that aren't elsewhere. But for now, we didn't want to bin this. It was far too it's much too work. It's too good, guys. It's far too good. So we're going to push ahead, Mish. I cannot wait. Let's rewind to 1932. All right, Mish. So Elizabeth Taylor was born on February 27, 1932 in London, the second child of two American parents. Yeah, she did come from quite the creative household. Her dad was an art dealer. Her mum actually acted in theatres in New York. So she grew up in a household that really encouraged a love of the arts. Yeah, exactly. So she grew up in England, but just before World War II, the family moved back to the US and they settled in Beverly Hills. I mean, what's a better place than Beverly Hills to start the career of a child star? Yeah. And I do wonder if this was intentional because from all reports, Liz had parents who actively encouraged her to get into acting very, very young. I mean, we spoke about Natalie Wood a few series ago and how her mother really pushed her into the acting sphere. It's seems similar with Elizabeth Taylor. She really did try and get into acting very early on. She also absolutely adored movies, was like a very young movie buff who loved nothing more than going to the cinema. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think one common thread that we're finding more and more is it's almost impossible for these classic movie stars to have ever entered the industry without heavy, heavy encouragement from the parents. So much later in life, Liz actually told Rolling Stone that she never had an acting lesson in her life. This is the quote, but I've learned, I hope from watching people who were finely tuned and educated in the art of acting, they were my education. Mm, She did make her big movie debut in 1942. So she was only aged 10. It wasn't the best film. In fact, critics call it rather forgettable. It was called There's One Born Every Minute. That was a bit of a flop. What wasn't a flop was Lassie Comes Home. Liz found herself in that film next because a family friend who was a producer saw her in One Born Every Minute and thought, let's get her in Lassie Comes Home. Yeah, she was a really sort of sweet looking kid. I mean, I think exactly what you'd imagine a young Elizabeth Taylor to look like when she's trying to crack into Hollywood at the mm. age of 10. She really started to make a name for herself by the age of 12 years old, which is just so young. I mean, she starred in the 1944 film National Velvet. And according to the New York Times, her performance quite literally made grown men and women weep to say nothing of girls who identified with Velvet, Velvet, of course, being the character that she played. This feels like, I mean, I'm yet to watch this. I really do want to find this film. It's from, what, almost 80 years ago. So I'm going to try and track it down. It feels almost a bit feminist. It was all about this young female jockey who dressed up as a boy to try and win this national competition. So... I mean, it seems semi ahead of its time. Yeah, and Liz seems semi ahead of her time in how she was acting. I mean, James Adji, who was a notoriously tough film critic, wrote at the time that when he was watching Liz's performance, he had been choked with a peculiar sort of adoration I might have felt if we were both in the same grade of primary school. Interesting. So because of her performance in that film, Liz Taylor was offered a long-term contract with the production company MGM. This was a big moment. I mean, MGM was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, production companies in the country You could argue that this really stifled some people's careers because you kind of became beholden to what a network or what a production company wanted you to do. But to score a big contract like that so early on in life is a massive deal. Yeah, huge. And it was a very different time to how the movie industry works now. I mean, now actresses or actors can very much sort of 
if they're good enough, pick and choose their projects basically almost as a freelancer, Mish. But with Elizabeth Taylor, she was very much locked into this one production company who gave her very little choice about the projects that she could pick. What is unfortunate about this time and what is unfortunate about covering a period like this is that we have to talk about a thread that we feel is very common, too common amongst Hollywood actresses in the 1940s, 50s and 60s, and that is of sexual harassment, abuse and manipulation. Yeah, I mean, for all that we're going to touch on Elizabeth Taylor's career in this series, we're really going to hone in on her relationships and kind of the scandal that bubbled behind them. But I don't think we can talk about her relationships and her associations with men without covering what happened to her when she was just a teenager. I mean, according to the biography, The Life and Times of Mickey Rooney, it was written by authors Richard A. Lertzman and William J. Burns in 2015. Elizabeth was in a sexual relationship with Mickey Rooney when she was 14 and he was 24. Now, I want to be really careful with my wording here because I don't even know if I agree with their description as sexual relationship. To me, that sounds deeply problematic. It sounds deeply abusive for a 24-year-old man to be sleeping with a 14-year-old girl. We know that now as statutory rape. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, Liz Taylor looked beyond her years. I mean, she was a teenager, but she was playing roles of women older than that when she was really young. I mean, according to the Washington Post, she once said after one of her divorces of her teenage years, I've been able to wear plunging neckline since I was 14 years old. And ever since then, people have expected me to act as old as I look. My troubles all started because I have a woman's body and a child's emotions. I know this is an odd parallel to make in a scandal episode from so, so, so many decades ago. It reminds me a little bit of the essay that M. Rada, the swimsuit model, wrote about being a child but in a woman's body and how that can affect you that to the outside world you look mature but inside you still have this sense of innocence and you still have this real tenderness that needs to be protected and it's so unfortunate that so many women, not just then but even women today, have that tenderness completely sliced apart. Yeah, it's also like a naivety too that people just don't even recognise, a really natural naivety because of age. Mm. But I think it was because of how Elizabeth looked and how she admitted that she looked that the transition from child actress to adult movie star was very seamless. I mean, it wasn't like she was ever stuck in that kind of child box. She went on to play a typical teenager in Life with Father and Amy March, Mish in Little Women. Yeah, the same year Time magazine featured Elizabeth Taylor on their cover. They called her the leader among Hollywood's next generation of stars. This was the quote, a jewel of great price, a true sapphire. She was only 17 years old when this was happening. So she was really marked as the next big thing in Hollywood from the earliest of ages. It very much seems, though, like Liz kind of despised her child and teen stardom days. There was this piece published in Life magazine in 1964, and I'm pretty sure it was basically an interview that Liz gave that was transcribed as if it was an article that she'd written. And Mm. you will hear us refer to this article a lot over the course of the next two episodes because there was a lot of gold in there. And in that piece, she said, 
One of the few times I've ever really been happy in my life was when I was a kid before I started acting. She also went on to say that she was so famous by the age of 12 that she had nothing in common with young kids her age anymore. Yeah, she went on, much of my life I've hated acting. I was doing the most awful films, walking around like Dracula's ghost in glamorised B-movies. It was either that or be suspended by MGM and I needed money. In that same piece, she wrote, she only had two ways of running away from everything, go to college or get married. Now, as we're about to find out, she picked marriage not just once, she picked it eight times. Exactly. So the first time Liz came very, very close to marriage was actually at the age of 17 in 1949. She became engaged to 28-year-old William Pauley Jr. Now, William Pauley Jr. was the son of the US ambassador, William D. Pauley. I love this romance because In modern day, we can kind of observe love stories based on archived social media posts. We can have tweets and we can have Instagram captions, all that good stuff. Back in 1949, instead, we had 60 love letters that Elizabeth Taylor and William Pauley Jr. wrote to each other that have since been sold and made public. Yeah, so according to the Sun Sentinel, their romance was, as you said, detailed in more than 60 love letters that Taylor wrote to Mr. Pauley which were auctioned off shortly after her death in 2011. I mean, tiny bit of a Nick vibe for the auctioning (laughs) off, but kind of helpful in the context of this story and our research. Yeah, and when you read the few letters that have been released publicly, you do get like a massive rom-com, first love, teen romance vibe from these. I'm going to read you a quote from one that Elizabeth Taylor wrote. This was from May 6, 1949. I've never known this kind of love before. It's so perfect and complete and mature. I've never loved anyone in my life one third as much as I love you and I never will. Well, as far as that goes, I'll never love anyone else, period. I think if you're writing in a love letter, this love feels so mature, you're probably quite young. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'll never love anyone else. I mean, I feel so smug knowing full well how many people (laughs) she was able to love through her lifetime going back to this. But according to the Sydney Morning Herald, there was also a letter where Elizabeth Taylor's mum, Sarah, had actually written to William to express that he was too possessive of her and that it wouldn't work with the kind of high-profile life that Elizabeth was destined for. Yeah, so we can kind of chart the rise and fall, the very quick rise, the very quick fall of this engagement. We also know that Elizabeth eventually returned her white diamond engagement ring back to William in a letter. Now, according to William Pauley's friend who did speak to the Sun Sentinel upon his death, he explained, and I quote, they parted when Elizabeth continued making movies instead of becoming Bill's homemaker. He told me he couldn't bring himself to marry anyone until 25 years after the split. I mean, I could be judgy and be like, come on, William Pauley, just like be with the love of your life and let her work. Why is that an issue? This was the 1940s. So I imagine it was a very, very different time. (laughs) I hate that time. It's definitely not how I would like things to run. But that attitude from William Pauley is probably quite representative of many men at that time. Totally. I can imagine that being incredibly symptomatic of a much wider public belief. So it seems like they dated for about six-ish months, Mish, maybe Mm. a bit more between March and November 1949. And now when we researched Elizabeth Taylor, a lot did come up about her and William Pauley, very likely because of these love letters coming out. What was a 
bit trickier to nail down was her relationship with a guy named Glenn Davis. Now, Glenn was this hotshot college footballer and reportedly a man that MGM had set her up with to date publicly. So they were photographed together at the Academy Awards around about the time that she was dating poorly Mm. but we can't quite make sense of this timeline can we no we know for a fact that she was engaged to William Pauly as far as Glenn Davis is concerned it's a little bit confusing there's clearly smoke and mirrors going on here to the public in 1949 everyone was seeing her with Glenn Davis that was clearly the person that the production company wanted her to be seen with it was clearly set up by the production company I mean you've got gorgeous young actress budding young football star It works in the public eye. It works for the tabloids. It works for the media. We don't know if they're engaged. We know for sure that they were dating at the same time, if not very, very similar times to William Pauley and Elizabeth Taylor were. Yeah. So the question I think we're left with was, was it just a public relationship and her private one was the The real real one? Yeah, exactly. And so a year later, in 1950, Mish, after she'd split from William Pauly in November, at age 18, Liz actually married her first husband. He was the hotel chain heir, Conrad Hilton Jr. I don't know when Glenn Davis left the scene, but he left the scene and now we're on to Conrad Hilton Jr. (laughs) So he was the heir to Hilton Hotels. And an interesting fact that we must cover before we get back to Elizabeth Taylor. Everyone put Elizabeth Taylor to the side just for a second. Conrad Hilton led quite the interesting life, Sarah McDonald. Yes. So, I mean, of course we know Hilton Hotels because of Nikki and Paris Hilton, but before there were Paris... Our gals. Before there were Paris and Nikki, Conrad Hilton had an affair with his stepmother, Zsa Gabor, who had been at this point married to his father for two years. Yeah. So in 1944... According to claims made by Zsa Zsa Gabor, and I don't know why she would make this up if it wasn't true, she said that she had a sexual and romantic relationship with her stepson when he was 18 years old, she was 27, and her husband, Conrad Sr., was 57. Yes, an interesting (laughs) sidebar if I've ever heard one. Now, a little bit later in life, once Conrad and his stepmother's affair had ended, he met a woman by the name of Elizabeth Taylor. They reportedly set eyes on each other during a bridal shower for a mutual friend. And Conrad Nicholas and Hilton, whose nickname is actually Nicky Hilton, and we will refer to him as Nicky Hilton going forward, was, you know, this eligible, rich heir to a throne kind of guy. Yeah. Now, they met in October 1949. Now, if you look at the dates on those letters with William Pauley that we spoke about earlier, Elizabeth Taylor was actually still engaged to William Pauley when she met Nikki Hilton. Now, so intense was this kind of love at first sight meeting at this bridal shower that reportedly Nikki burst into his father's office the day after the bridal shower and announced that he had met the most fabulous looking girl in the world and that he absolutely had to be with her. Yeah, so according to Vogue, this all happened quite quickly. He proposed with a four-carat diamond platinum set engagement ring And the press surrounding this wedding was huge, but almost deliberately so. Liz's friends spoke about how about four weeks before the wedding, they were heading to lunch and were followed the entire route by three busloads of gaping newspaper photographers. They were a real moment. Yeah, a massive moment. And I mean, the production company in MGM absolutely capitalised on this. They orchestrated the wedding to basically be a PR push for Liz's films. Yeah. So when I said before, there was a lot of press around it, almost deliberately so, it was because the production company 
organised the whole wedding. (laughs) So the ceremony took place on May 6, 1950. As we said, it was organised entirely by MGM and it was used as part of the publicity campaign for Liz's film Father of the Bride. For this wedding, Elizabeth Taylor wore a stunning high-collar, long-sleeved, pearl-covered gown. Now it had a corset that cinched in her waist, ballooned out into a massive hoop skirt. It had a 15-yard satin train. What is yards in, like, metres? Yeah. Do you Yard wanna... to metres. We're going to do a live Google You search. Google that. Well, I tell the listeners that the gown was actually a gift from MGM. It was crazy created by its chief costume designer and had been worked on by 15 people for three straight months. It was auctioned off a few years ago for 188k. I just realised as well, this was worked on for three months. That's almost as long as they were engaged. Like yeah. They only met in October. This wedding was in May. There's not much time left over. The dress is almost as old as the relationship is. I do have my yard to metres stat. The train on this dress was five metres long, approximately. Now, biographer William J. Mann said in a film about Elizabeth Taylor's life that, and I quote, it's very clear that marriage to Nikki Hilton was one the studio wanted and manipulated into happening. And Elizabeth went along very happily because Nikki Hilton seemed like a great guy. The whole wedding at the church was completely stage managed by MGM down to the bridesmaids who were all MGM stock players and the MGM set design people who had decorated the church. So it was really quite the MGM production. Feels like a film or a reality show or something. I mean, we did a whole series on Kim Kardashian's 72-day marriage and people say that celebrities these days are opportunistic and things like that. But how about the fact that celebrities perhaps always were a bit opportunistic? This screams to me of that idea of, oh, things were better in the good old days. Celebrities were more classy (laughs) in the good old days. Like, It's actually just bullshit. Celebrities have always been this way. The celebrity industrial complex has always functioned in the same way. So as classy as Elizabeth Taylor's reputation is, I don't think this is the classiest wedding under the sun. No, but also one we should note that she probably had very little power in. Mm. I think we shouldn't understate how much power MGM would have had over her. They were the ones that dictated basically every decision that she made. So I don't think this was her fault in the least. The 600-person guest list was... 600 people. I mean, packed to the rafters what? with famous people, including Hollywood A-listers like Gene Kelly, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Yeah, and much like Kim Kardashian's marriage to Chris Humphrey Zara, this marriage didn't last very long. The marriage crumbled before their 14-week European honeymoon was over. We know that Kim Kardashian realised that her marriage wasn't the right one while she was on her honeymoon. Elizabeth Taylor did the same thing on this 14-week trip, which is a very, very long honeymoon. Give me a 14-week European honeymoon. (laughs) She realised that this marriage had to end and had to end ASAP. Yeah, exactly. Liz actually wrote in her 1988 autobiography, Elizabeth Takes Off, that Nikki quickly became sullen, angry and abusive physically and mentally. Nikki would actually later be described in 1995 by the Sun Sentinel as unstable and volatile. I mean, 
he seemed to be a playboy with an addiction to heroin amongst other substances, as well as a problem with alcohol and gambling. I mean, Mish, he reportedly spent his wedding night at the bar drinking until he could barely stand up. And rumour has it that they didn't consummate the marriage until their third night together when she basically had to drag him to bed. Yeah, publicly they hadn't slept together. This was obviously such a short courtship. The time between meeting and getting married was so brief. She has, and I'm putting this in quotation marks to use the vernacular of the time, saved herself for marriage to Nikki Hilton. She didn't want to sleep with him before the wedding. So to imagine him being so inebriated, he couldn't even sleep with her for the first two days of their marriage. That's pretty wild. According to the Sun Sentinel, at one point on the trip, after a night of gambling away $100,000, Nikki Hilton reportedly turned up to their marital room violently drunk, found Elizabeth Taylor in the shower and punched her in the stomach. At other points in this trip, he would also slap her. Just incredibly confronting things to hear about her first marriage. According to the Sun Sentinel, Liz actually later told director Larry Pierce that we had a very prim and proper courtship, a very 50s type of courtship where a woman didn't go to bed with a man prior to marriage. During the courtship, except on one or two occasions, Nikki was able to control what I later determined to be his violent nature. Once I discovered his problem, it was too late to do much about it. We were already married and I was too ashamed to admit I had committed such a grievous error. Yeah, I mean, for such a romantic, this reality was so far removed from the fairy tale that Elizabeth Taylor had told everyone that she dreamt about. She later said in that Life magazine article that at 18, I quote, I really did think that being married would be living in a little white cottage with a picket fence and roses. She also went on to say, I really don't believe in divorce. I know that sounds pretty funny coming from me. When I was first divorced, I was 18 and I'd only been married nine months. I was very naive and really totally crushed. It was the first divorce in my family. Yeah, so they officially divorced in January of 1951. I mean, as we mentioned before, the marriage was in the May of 1949, so it wasn't a long marriage. Friend Anne Cole actually said to the Sun Sentinel newspaper decades later, her marriage to Nikki Hilton ultimately became her initiation to life. She would never again feel the same way about men. Mm, after the break, Zara, we are going to talk about Elizabeth Taylor's relationships with men and just how much they changed after that first marriage to Nikki Hilton. But first, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. So, Mish, Liz wasn't actually single very long after she split from Nikki Hilton. The following year, in 1952, and at the age of 20 years old, she married her second husband. He was the British actor Michael Wilding, and he was 20 years older than her. Yeah, she and Michael had actually met a few years prior. They met in 1948 while they were on the set of their movie Ivanhoe. Now, Michael was really the antidote to all of the drama and the chaos and the abuse that she reportedly suffered at the hands of Nikki Hilton. He was very accomplished. He was very no fuss. He was the easygoing, lovely guy that Elizabeth Taylor needed in her life. Yeah, exactly. It feels very much, I mean, this is me going back through this story 70 years later, <laughs> but it feels very much like this was a safety net she could fall into and yes. she really very much cared about Michael Wilding. So they got married. And as described by French Vogue, for her second trip down the aisle, the actress chose to show her sophisticated side and opted for a modest suit 
featuring a fitted jacket with a large white collar and knee-length flared skirt. Just like her first wedding dress, this discreet and elegant outfit was designed by Helen Rose. Yeah, now this does seem like one of Elizabeth Taylor's most conventional relationships. These two went on to have two sons together. They had son Michael in 1953 and son Christopher in 1955. And during this marriage, during this period of her life, Elizabeth Taylor really rose and rose again. This was a time when she starred in some of her most serious films, like A Place in the Sun in 1951, which dealt with pregnancy out of wedlock and included references to abortion, which was very ahead of its time, and Giant in 1956, which also addressed interracial relationships, which was, again, a big deal for its time in the 1950s. Yeah, at home, things largely seemed pretty good as well. I mean, Liz told People magazine in 2006 that Michael had been a wonderful father. But eventually, Mish, their marriage took a turn because Liz actually started up an affair with a production assistant by the name of Kevin McClory. Yeah, she did. And on top of that, it's been pretty widely reported that Michael Wilding had issues or had jealousy and resentment towards Liz's burgeoning career. Yeah, so all in all, not quite the recipe for marital bliss. In (laughs) fact, it's a recipe for separation and divorce, which, as we're about to learn, is precisely what happened. Now, it was around this time when everything was falling apart in her marriage and Liz was engaged in this sexual and romantic affair with Kevin McClory that she went to a barbecue, Zara. And that barbecue ended up being a pretty seminal point in her life. Yeah, so... The barbecue was hosted by a guy named Mike Todd. Mike Todd was actually Kevin McClory's boss. He was a director and he would soon become Elizabeth Taylor's third husband. Now, Zara, who the hell is third husband Mike Todd? Very much in my reading about Mike Todd, and I think you would agree with this, Mish, is this sense that he was a bit edgier Mm. than ever anyone else that she was with. He was a bit more rogue. I mean, according to The Hollywood Reporter, Todd was described as not a man who thought a lot before he acted. He seemed very charming, particularly, right? Yeah, and he had a bit of a ratbag past. So we go from having like Michael Wilding as the husband, father figure, very stable, very nurturing, but then we go to Mike Todd who has this kind of edgy upbringing that's really alluring. So in sixth grade, he was suspended from school for running a gambling operation in the playground. (laughs) He dropped out in the first year of high school, but by the time he was 18, he was actually running a $2 million residential building business that would then go on to go bust. So he, a lot of ebbs and flows in the life of Mike Todd. Seems like quite an entrepreneurial kid though. A gambling business in the playground, sure. Over the next decade, he actually broke out on Broadway as a producer before he actually headed over to Hollywood. And he was like this hot shot movie producer too. I mean, as we mentioned, he won the 1957 Best Picture Oscar for his film Around the World in 80 Days. It was like the big thing that Mike Todd did in his career was that movie. Yeah, and he too, just like Elizabeth Taylor, had a really tumultuous love life. His first wife passed away when they were really young. His second wife divorced on the grounds of mental cruelty. So when he met Liz, they were both staring down the barrel of a third marriage together. Exactly. She was 24 and he was 47. So it was a really whirlwind relationship, Mish. I mean, it's kind of funny looking back at this because what seems to be the case is initially 
actually Elizabeth wasn't quite sold on Mike Todd. Yeah. It wasn't like love at first sight by any stretch. I mean, apparently the day after her separation from Michael, her second husband made the newspapers, she got a call from Mike who said he needed to see her straight away. And so she said she was sitting at the offices at MGM drinking a Coca-Cola and he, and I quote, came in and he came over and picked me up by the arm and without a word just dragged me out of the office. He sort of plunked me on the couch and he pulled a chair around and started in on a spill that lasted about half an hour without stop, saying that he loved me and that there was no question about it, we're going to be married. I just can't imagine this time. Like imagine a man just like dragging you out of a cafe or something, sitting you down on a couch and be like, you and me, this is happening now. And you'd be like, yeah, okay, that works for me. Yeah. I wouldn't be attracted to it at no. all. Like the hard sell is just not sexy for me, but for some people it is. Yeah, and he really did not stop there. Elizabeth Taylor went on to say, he called me up on the phone every night and he talked for a couple of hours. When I had two weeks off, he sent a private plane down to the location to pick me up and fly me away for a week and then we became engaged. So much like the courtship, Liz later wrote in her 1965 memoir that Mike's marriage proposal was kind of less of a proposal and more of a demand. <laughs> she said, he didn't ask me to marry him, he told me, and he proposed with a 29-carat diamond ring. Yeah, so what might not come as a huge surprise to the listeners of this episode, Mike Todd wasn't actually single when he met Elizabeth Taylor. He actually had a serious girlfriend by the name of Evelyn Keys, and he dumped her, Liz dumped McClory, her lover, and they both got together. Yeah, she also dumped Michael Wilding as well. <laughs> the press were really intrigued by Mike Todd and Elizabeth Taylor, but I think that's a common thread with every one of Elizabeth Taylor's marriages. But particularly, they wrote a lot about their fights and their mm. arguments. I mean, the New York Journal once wrote that they put on their usual show today on arrival from European social triumphs and domestic brawls. Yeah, according to a lot of sources, though, Elizabeth Taylor actually loved this kind of attention. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Sometimes this couple, Mike Todd and Elizabeth Taylor, would actually stage public outbursts and then laugh and like have this inside joke when it then made the press. If that's the way you want to play it. I mean, it, it's kind of like <laughs> J-Lo and Ben Affleck well, vibes. Yeah, it's like you and me against the world, right? So out of all her marriages, looking back on her life, people remarked that Mike Todd was one of the great loves of her life. Mm. Maybe who knows if it was the great love, but definitely one of the greatest loves. And they were madly in love. I mean, she later said, God, I loved him. My self-esteem, my image, everything soars under his exuberant loving care. Yeah, they got married on February 2nd, 1957 in a lavish ceremony in Acapulco, Mexico, for this wedding, her third, Liz wore a dramatic hooded silk organza gown. Do you remember this? Like when I'm saying yes. that, do you have the image in your head? I feel like her hooded gowns were my favourite. I feel like Liz's wedding dresses in some way kind of reflect the marriage maybe. In how so? Well, this was a bit edgier <laughs> and more That's fun. Fair. And then the one with Michael Wilding was like, white and collared. I don't know. I could be projecting and making shit up. But no, I, it's, I think you've got a point there. This is a little bit rogue. It yeah. is rogue to wear a fucking hood to your wedding day. Yeah. And there was a lot of theatrics around yeah. this day. There was a huge fireworks display that lit up their names in the sky and they were flanked by two of their best friends in the world. So Mike's best friend, Eddie Fisher, was his best man. And Eddie's wife, Debbie Reynolds, was Elizabeth Taylor's maid of honour. Now, what a star-studded friendship 
couple duo this was. This is like the two biggest celebrity couples in the world joining forces. And boy, did these guys join forces every chance they got. So Debbie Reynolds had actually known Elizabeth Taylor for years at this point. They met as teenagers because they worked for the same production company. Yeah, so Debbie Reynolds once told people about her friendship with Elizabeth Taylor. I went to MGM when I was around 17 and Liz was there too, but she was already a star. We went to school together on the lot when she was in between films. I was just a beginner and she and I were not in any manner alike, but we got along very well. Yeah, so we had Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds happily married with two kids. Those kids were named Todd and Carrie. Now, yes, that's Carrie Fisher, the very, very famous late actress. Todd was actually named after Eddie Fisher's best friend, Mike Todd. They had a baby and they thought, we want to name this baby after our favourite friend, Mike Todd. Yeah, so it felt like the ultimate double date scenario, right? You've got two sets of best friends, two sets of couples. They all hung out a lot. They were often photographed out on the town together. And therefore, when Mike and Elizabeth got married, they were flanked by Eddie and Debbie. Yeah, and this was reportedly the best time of their lives. I mean, a few weeks after they got married, Mike Todd's film Around the World was nominated for eight Oscars. It went on to win five. American gossip columnist Hedda Hopper wrote about the couple, most people in Hollywood are so jealous of you they could cut your throat. I mean, gossip journalism was written much differently (laughs) then than it is now, isn't it? At the backstage press conference at the Oscars, Mike held his Oscar in one hand. He had Liz, who was wearing this incredible tiara in his other arm and they announced that they were expecting their first child together. He told reporters, can you imagine? I hope I live through all of this. Their baby Liza was born in August 1957. And then we fast forward to March 1958, Mish, just eight months after baby Liza was born. And Mike was heading to New York where the Friars Club, which is this private club in New York City whose membership is basically only composed of like comedians and other celebrities Mm -hmm. and they were going to honour him with an award called Showman of the Year. So he was travelling to New York and Liz had actually planned to join him but she was sick with bronchitis and a fever. So he flew there himself and apparently before he left he bent down to hug his wife in bed and said, without you, honey, I'd feel like half a pair of scissors. Yeah, now that was according to The Hollywood Reporter. He was travelling in his private jet. It was actually called the Lucky Liz. He had named it after his wife. The entire plane was kind of a testament to their marriage together. Everything down to the toiletries were engraved with Liz and his. (laughs) I mean, it's very sweet. (laughs) Very sweet. Before they took off, Mike actually picked up the air-to-ground telephone to tell Liz he would call her when they landed in Tulsa to refuel. Now, also on the plane was a newspaper columnist by the name of Art Cohn who was writing Mike's authorised biography. Yeah, now when this plane was getting ready to take off, it was raining pretty hard and the weather was not really conducive with an easy flight. Despite all of that, they decided to take off for New York anyway. Yeah, the following morning, the press reported that the plane had very tragically crashed. The engine had failed, the plane lost control and everyone in the plane died. I mean, 
What's really eerie about these kinds of stories is apparently a few hours earlier, he had just been talking to friends to try to convince them to come on a trip. Now, according to a 1958 report in the Sarasota Herald Tribune, he told his friends, "Uh, come on, it's a good safe plane. I wouldn't let it crash. I'm taking along a picture of Elizabeth and I wouldn't let anything happen to her. Yeah. So one of the biggest names in Hollywood and the husband of the biggest movie star the world has seen has died and the funeral was again a spectacle probably similarly to how the wedding was Mike Todd himself was kind of fireworks in human form and his funeral was that too the press and the public gathered people were screaming out to Liz to try and get her attention and there was a closed coffin there it was a massive massive event yeah Liz was understandably distraught I mean Her friend Debbie Reynolds said that when she pulled up outside the house, all she could hear was Liz screaming. Another friend by the name of Shirley McLean also rushed to Liz's side and said, I stayed there for two, three days. She was terrible, just terrible, absolutely distraught, wouldn't eat. It was a very, very, very bad time. She gave that quote to The Hollywood Reporter. Yeah, so while her personal life was falling apart, Liz was going through the biggest high of her career. She was two weeks into filming Cat on a Hot Tin Roof when Mike died. And of that film, she later told Life magazine that, I guess I went slightly around the bend with grief. I was lucky I had someone else to become. When I was Maggie was the only time I could function. When they said cut, I would go back to my dressing room and I don't remember much of what I did. I couldn't read. I couldn't talk. I couldn't eat even. Most of the time, I would just more or less look. It's a really confronting image, isn't it, to just think that she would be sitting there staring into space almost because Mm. she doesn't even know how to deal with her own grief. I mean, what is really interesting about this story is the film actually ended up being one of Liz's best films. She was nominated for the Oscar for Best Actress for her performance and Although she was going through this horrible period of grieving, she wasn't alone. She did have the support of people like her best friend, Debbie Reynolds. Yeah, Debbie Reynolds was there massively for Elizabeth Taylor in the days, weeks and months after Mike Todd died. And she was at Elizabeth's side as much as she could be until one day, Zara, in 1959. Yes, and on that day in 1959, Debbie's husband, Eddie, was actually on tour. As we said, he was a singer and Debbie wanted some company. So she decided to call her best friend, Elizabeth, to catch up. Only when she called Elizabeth, Elizabeth didn't pick up the phone. Debbie's husband, Eddie Fisher, did. Yes, all that and more on next week's episode of Scandal. Zara, I left them on a cliffhanger. Oh my God, I cannot wait for the next episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more about that phone call, make sure you tune in next Monday. Until then, follow us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We have a killer gallery of throwback photos of these people up there right now that you can scroll through yeah thank you so much for listening and big thank you to our researcher justine landis hanley who researched this with help from you and i mish wow so much going on even more going on next week (laughs) in the meantime we'll be in your ears on thursday as always for our pop culture wrap but yeah thanks so much guys bye
Oh, hi. It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to... To our show, please do head to your favorite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.